Manfred Selznick and his wife in a little town of Germany built their dream home. Uh, the only issue with their dream home was that it was at the end of a road where a sharp curve uh, was, and their house was right at that curve. And before long, after they had finished, not too long, not too much time had passed, late one night, a car was going down the road too fast, uh, didn't see the curve in time, took the curve too fast, jumped the curve, and went right into Manfred and his wife's house. And so you can imagine they were not too thrilled about it, but they did fix the damage. Uh, They thought, okay, so this was a one-time thing maybe. Well, some months passed, a little bit of time passed. Sure enough, another car down the road too fast, late at night, jumped the curb right into Manfred and his wife's house. You would think three strikes and you're out, right? No, it happened a third time. It happened again a fourth time. A fifth car, a sixth car, a seventh car, an eighth car, and a ninth car before they finally, Manfred and his wife, said, no more. We've had all we can take. Uh, Manfred was interviewed, and he said, you know what? I don't want to move, but this is survival. I feel like I'm living in a time bomb. So he was forced, he and his wife were forced to wisely leave their dream home. And I just wonder this morning on this Mother's Day if any of you feel like that's your home. Not, not literally you've got cars smashing into your house, but maybe figuratively you feel like there, there are things crashing in on your home from all sides. That no matter how hard you try, uh, you, can't, you just can't seem to get your family together. You can't seem to get it organized and get everybody going where they need to go and doing what they need to do. And maybe, maybe this pandemic has allowed you to slow down a little bit and, and to think about that. And what we all need to realize is that in this crazy crash and smash world, uh, none of our families are perfect. We all have imperfect families. Um, so how in the midst of the crazy world that we live in and Hopefully, we're going to be moving back into a little bit normal, more normal schedule. But with that comes a little bit of chaos, a lot of chaos. How can we survive in the midst of the world that we live in as families? And, and hey, what about not just survival? Uh, can we thrive in our world as a family? Well, I, I want to introduce you to the concept as we begin a new series this week that, that not only does God want you to survive in your family. He is for you in your family, and he wants your family to thrive. We're going to begin a series. It's a seven-week series called Our Imperfect Family. And in this series, we're going to look at, and we're going to learn that even though our families are imperfect, and they all are, that God has a purpose for our families. And if we fulfill the purpose that he has for our families, We will find fulfillment in our families. And we won't just be in survival mode. We will thrive in the families that God has blessed us with. There are a lot of challenges, a lot of things that we face, culture, decisions, uh, normally a fast-paced life, the busyness of life that 
that will soon return, I'm sure, as we get back to normal in the, the weeks, months ahead. A lot of challenges, a lot of things to distract us that vie for our attention. But what we see here is that in the midst of all of the challenges of life and the questions that surround the family, Jesus is the answer to every challenge that we face individually and as a family. Someone once said, a family is either in crisis or in Christ. I want to say that again. A family is either in crisis or in Christ. Because if you're in Christ, there will be emergencies and there will be crises, but you won't stay in crisis. You'll be trusting in your Savior and you'll have faith. You'll be in Christ and secure in Him. And even when life is uncertain, you'll, be, you'll have a foundation and you'll be secure. Jesus has a plan. He has a plan for your life and He has a plan for your family. And we find that plan in the Bible, in God's Word. And that's what we're going to look at as we go through this series. As we start today, we're going to begin at the beginning in Genesis chapter 2. And we're going to look at how God designed the family. And before we go further, now before I get into this series on the family, God has something to say to you in this series regardless of where you are in life. If you're married with kids, certainly he has something to say to you in this series. If you're a widow or widower, he still has something to say to you in this series. If you're single and you're content in your singleness or you just haven't gotten married yet or you're a child, uh, a teenager, uh, just because I'm talking about families doesn't mean I'm talking just about couples. We're going to talk a lot about the married couple today, but throughout this series, there's going to be a lot for you regardless of where you are in your life's journey. Because even if you never marry, God's going to call you to minister to families. And you have a family of your own. Even if you don't have blood relatives anymore, you have a church family. And you have a place in that family. So there is something for you regardless of where you are. So don't hear family and say, oh, I'm not married, I'm tuning out. No, there is something for you regardless of where you are in your journey in life. We're going to take from God's Word, we're going to, look at, we're going to learn practical tools and biblical truths that we can use to equip us, that God will use to equip us and encourage us as families. Here's the goal of our series, all right? Wherever you are in your life, we want to develop stronger families and become stronger members of God's family. Yes, the family as the family unit, father, uh, husband, wife, father, mother, son, brother, all that, you know, the family unit, but also the family of God. We believe the strength of the family of God begins with the strength of the family at home. And so we want to strengthen both. Dave Roper said this. He said, no one's home is so good that God is impressed by it. On the other hand, no one's home is so bad that God cannot set it right. We are not perfect. And so if you're expecting that this series will show you how to have a perfect family, then you're going to be disappointed. My family's not perfect. I, there are no perfect families. Um, ever, ever since Adam and Eve sinned, there's never been a perfect marriage. There's no such thing as a perfect family, but God has given us a plan to help us in our imperfection. And again, we start where he instituted the family, the institution of the family in Genesis chapter 2. Um, it's the first institute that God ever created. And if you're going to build a home, you have to have 
I, I've never built a home. I've remodeled uh, homes, but uh, even with that, you've got to have the right equipment, right? You've got to have the right tools. You've got to have the right uh, equipment, people that know what they're doing. If you're building something, building a home, building a building, you need blueprints to build that building. The same is true for a home in terms of a family. If you're going to build that family, then you've got to have the right set of blueprints. Well, God gives us the blueprints for the family in his word in the Bible. This is Family 101 we're talking about in this series and today, specifically in Genesis chapter 2, verses 18 through 25, we'll look at uh, God's blueprint for the family. Now, there's a chance that some of you are going to tune me out unless you hear what I'm about to say, and I encourage you not to do that. What we're going to read today is God's ideal for the family. This is pre-sin. This is before the fall of man, but it is still God's ideal. And while we are imperfect, and we will never be perfect in this life, this is still God's ideal. In Genesis chapter 3, sin enters the picture. It disrupts God's ideal. From that point on, his ideal has been distorted. We don't live in a perfect world. None of us are perfect. But even through sin, and even though sin has entered the world, Jesus entered the world as well to take our sin away. And so once we're saved, while we're still not perfect, we are on the road to becoming perfect. And he can take us to heaven because he saves us, but he can also bring heaven to our families if we will submit to him. So, so don't think just because I'm not perfect, I can never measure up. No, accept that you're imperfect and let God, let Christ work in and through you and your family to make you what he wants you to be. This is God's ideal. And even though we, don't, uh, we do not have... Uh, or ha- we haven't and we will not live up to it completely, we should still try because it is still his ideal. So let's just look. We're going to read through the passage together, verses 18 through 25, and then we'll break it down, break down God's blueprint. Look at some truths from this passage. Uh, verse 18, Then the Lord said, The Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper who is like him. So the Lord formed, the Lord God formed out of the ground each wild animal and each bird of the sky, and he brought each to the man to see what he would call it. Whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal, but for the man no helper was found who was like him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh in that place. Then the Lord God made the rib... Uh, He had taken from man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, This one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. So from this, God's blueprint for the family We can take some truths that we, if we allow him to, God will use to build our family the way that he wants. Truth number one, Jesus knows our relationship needs and will provide to meet those needs. If you are a human being, you have relationship needs. And Jesus, you can be assured that he knows your relationship needs and he will provide to meet those needs. 
Uh, Let's jump back to our text again in verse 18. Uh, Same chapter, verse 18. The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper who is like him. So the Lord God formed out of the ground each wild animal, each bird of the sky. He brought to the man to see what he would call it, whatever the man called it, whatever he called the living creature, that was its name. Then the man, ga- the man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found who was like him. That first phrase in verse 18, it was not good for man to, to live alone. Man is not created to live in isolation. God created us to share our lives. Now, listen, I know very well Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, some people are called to be single. And that may be you. You may be watching this today, and you are called to live a single life. And and that's wonderful if God's called you to do that. But you still weren't meant to live an isolated existence. When I'm talking about you were made to share your life, yes, For a lot of us, that means we are made to be married. But for all of us, that means we were meant to share our lives with other people, with our friends, with our families, with our church family. If you're not a part of a church and you're a child of God, you need to share your life. We were not, human beings were not made to live in isolation. Adam needed a helper, a helper that was suitable And this word, this is one of those words that people in our culture have tried to make a dirty word. And it's not. It is is a great word. As a matter of fact, Jesus uses this word to describe the Holy Spirit as helper. And that is a pretty important role. We see in Psalm 33, God is described as our help. Same word. And so the same word that's used to describe the role of God and the role of the Holy Spirit in some aspects is the word that's used to describe a helper for Adam. So ladies, this is an incredible compliment to you that God would see you in this and give you this role as helpmate to your husband. Now, for those of you that are single, we look at Adam here. And it's important to note, because some of you are single today, and you're, man, you're waiting for that, that Mr. or Mrs. Wright. And I, I've been there. I know what it's like to wonder uh, when, that would, would, that, when that person would come into your life. But there's something important to note here. Adam, he wasn't seeking a wife. So it's okay to want a spouse. Adam's asleep right now. It, it wasn't Adam that said, hey, I need help. It was God who saw in his heart and saw his need, Adam was simply busy serving God. What was Adam doing? He was naming, God was bringing him animals, Adam was naming those animals. He was doing what God had called him to do. And in the midst of serving God, God saw Adam's heart, saw his need, and God met his need. So wherever you are, if you're single, and God has given you a desire to have a family, let me encourage you, don't get ahead of God. Wait on the Lord. Get busy serving the Lord wherever you are. He will see your need, and in his time, he'll provide for that relationship need. He'll meet that relationship need. God knows where you are. Wait on the Lord and experience his best. Don't try to shortcut God, because your best or your shortcut will never measure up to God's best. 
Now let's look at how you can construct the family in verses 21 through 23 of our, our passage today. In your spouse, God has given you, the God who loves you has given you an incredible gift. Now some of you may say, well listen, I was abused, or my wife or my husband left me. And as I stated when we began, we're talking about God's ideal here, and there is sin, and there is hurt, and there is pain. And some of you have been hurt, and I don't in any way want to minimize that. Um, you have to protect you and your children from abuse. Don't put yourself in a dangerous position. Some, some people leave. You may have had a husband or a wife that left you, and you can't control their actions. And, and I, I'm so sorry that you've had to go through that pain. And we as a church, we want to be here for you. And we are. If we can help anyone is in that situation in any way, shape, form, or fashion, we want to love you and minister to you. But that's a result of sin. And just because sin exists, we're not going to throw God's ideal out the window. We still believe that God's plan is the best. And in God's perfect plan, his creation of the marriage relationship, the spouse, husband, wife is a gift, a precious gift. Look again at verses 21 through 23. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. The man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman for she was taken from man. And this leads to our next truth as we look at God's blueprints for marriage. Truth number two is that God created Adam and Eve for each other and brought them together. God created Adam and Eve for each other and brought them together. Now, Adam wasn't looking for a wife. Adam's also, he's asleep, which means he can't take credit for finding Eve. Uh, he didn't go out and find her. There, there's no, the person who gets the credit here is God. God created her and gave her to him. This teaches us that we, we have nothing to do with creating ourselves, certainly. And if you are, a sing, if you are single, if God can take a, a bone from a man and create a spouse, if you are single, God can bring your spouse to you at the right time. My wife grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. God brought us together when the time was right. Um, he brought her to me from St. Louis to Birmingham. Wherever you are, whatever you're going through in your life, if it's God's plan for you to be married, wait on the Lord. Wait on his perfect timing. Because he, the God who created the universe, who created Adam and Eve, can bring you your significant other, your spouse, your husband, or your wife when the time is right. He's big enough to make it happen. A rib, we see how God did this. A rib was taken from Adam. It's, it's significant because the rib is close to the heart. And it also signifies that they are walking side by side, that they are equal. Yes, different roles, which we'll talk about next week. We're going to talk about roles within the family. But they are equal before the Lord. Uh, they, they, are, they are side by side partners in this relationship so ladies if a man wants to try to demean you and say that that you were made from my rib you can say to him well god created you from dirt so which is better 
I mean, I, I, it, is, it is clear here that God has created for Adam a helper to walk alongside him and to be his partner in life. Verse 23, bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And that name woman means basically that the two were brought together, that, that, that she was created for him and they were brought together. They are 100%, they 100% belong to each other. And those next few words that Adam says, he says, this one at last. Now think about it, he had been naming all of those animals. All of those animals had been passing in front of him, seen one after the other. And he says, now this one at last, this is the one. It's the English equivalent of saying, wow, <laughs> he had finally seen the perfect match for him because God created her for him. He's rejoicing at the fact that God looked into his heart, saw his need, knew him better than anybody else because he had created Adam and he knew what he needed and created the perfect woman to meet his need. And God will do the same for you, has for me. And that's what God promises. Not that we are perfect, we're not anymore, but God has a plan for us, and he has the, the ability to meet the relationship needs that you have. We need to be thankful. Those of us who are married need to be thankful. Today's Mother's Day, and you need to tell your wife that you're thankful for her, um, but we need to be thankful every day for our wives. And, and listen, it goes both ways, too. We need to be thankful for our spouse. Wives need to be thankful for their husbands, and we need to earn that that, that respect by fulfilling our roles and our vows to our husbands, our wives. We need to be thankful for our spouse. If you're single, you may be saying, this is great, but I don't have a spouse. Well, even if you're called to be single, you do have a spouse. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the groom. We are his bride, the church, and we need to be faithful to him, and we need to be thankful for him, and we need to express that thankfulness to him. God can, and listen, if he's called you to be married, he can still bring you uh, that spouse in his time. Third truth that we discover from our text today in Genesis chapter 2 is that God wants to perform your wedding and he wants to control and construct your home. Now, who's going to be the preacher that marries us? Who are we going to get? Well, and that's important, but what's more important is that we all understand it is God who performs the ceremony. And what, more than that, he wants to construct your home each and every day. God wants to perform your wedding and control and construct your home. Look at verse 24. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife. They, too, become one flesh. This is the first wedding ceremony, the very first one. God creates the institution of marriage right here. If you want to know what marriage looks like, this is it. God created the institution of marriage right here in verse 24. And in verse 24, we have the blueprints for the family. Notice there are only three people present here. There's God, there's Adam, and there's Eve. Leaving God out of your marriage is like leaving God the Father or God the Son or the Holy Spirit out of the Trinity. You, it just, it's not supposed to, if you do, it's not real marriage. God, Adam, and Eve. And we, we cannot attempt, we can try, but we should not attempt to leave God out of our marriages. Here are the blueprints. 
as we see in verse 24 in this passage, specifically in verse 24. For one, it's one man and one woman. One man and one woman. So what are the implications of this? Well, for one thing, thing, this means that polygamy is not a part of God's ideal, his design for marriage. And I can hear you saying it. Well, there's a lot of people in the Bible who had a lot of wives and a lot of concubines. Well, let let me share a truth with you that hopefully will help you as you read Scripture. Just because the Bible reports it doesn't mean it supports it. God allowed his people to do a lot of things that he did not support. I mean, the Bible reports murders and rape. It reports incest, but it doesn't support those things. And it's very clear that whenever God's people participated in those things, it was to their own detriment. It caused great harm within their families. So if we go back to God's ideal, this means polygamy, multiple wives, multiple husbands, is, is wrong. This also means that the Bible does not support homosexuality. And this is a a hot-button topic in our society today. And in love, I have to be honest, love speaks the truth. And if I believe God's Word, which I do, God's Word teaches that marriage is one man and one woman. There are no exceptions to that. Um, it gives the, the, the instructions, the design that God gives is the traditional family. Now, the problem that we run into today in our culture is that culture takes a word and redefines it. The word is tolerance, and, and it takes that word and, and changes it to mean that I will accept you and support whatever you do. Well, I can accept you without supporting what you do. I mean, that concept is crazy because if we accept that definition that tolerance means I accept you and support, agree with everything you do, that means if you decide to kill me, I'm supposed to be okay with that. That's, that's where that logic falls apart. That's not what tolerance means. Love means I'm willing to tell the truth even if you don't like what I have to say. And love means I'm not doing it to say, hey, look at you, your sin's worse than mine because I'm a sinner saved by grace just like everybody else. Sin is sin. But if we're going to go with God's ideal, his design, as he's created marriage here, we have to agree that it's one man and one woman. We define love based on Christ, not what the culture says. Real love loves enough to share the truth, We share the truth, though, in love. And so the truth of the Bible is that this homosexuality is a sin. Uh, The truth is also that God loves all people, regardless of where you are and what sin you struggle with. God loves you. And we, as a church, I don't want to sit up here and just say, hey, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, because you can pick out plenty of things in my life that are wrong. What I want is for you to experience the same grace that I have. I want to point you to the truth because in doing so, I'm pointing you to Jesus. And he can take you where you are and he can heal you from whatever sin you're involved in. That's the purpose of sharing the truth. We share the truth in love so that all may come to know Jesus. The second blueprint we see in verse 24 is the concept of leaving. In marriage, the spouse is the most important person in your life. Now, this doesn't mean that you no longer care about your parents, that you no longer take advice from them, but it does mean that that your spouse is now 
in the number one seat in your life, the most important person in your life is your spouse. doesn't mean you neglect your kids or anything like that. It means that your spouse has to have number one, the number one spot in your life. Your spouse becomes the most important. Also, we are told that we are to be joined to become one flesh. This is the picture that's used. Now, I brought a couple of ropes here with me to kind of help us understand this scenario. Uh, you know, God formed the institution of marriage, and we have, you've probably heard it said, getting married is tying the knot, right? So you have two different lives. One represents man, one represents a woman. They are in their families. They leave their families, and they come together, and they tie a knot. They become one, or at least they join together with the intent of becoming one. And so that's what we've done here. Let's say that's our marriage ceremony. These two separate lives have come together. They've, they've joined together. They've tied the knot before God. They've made a commitment, a covenant before God to be married. But you're still dealing with two very different people here. And my ropes are even different lengths here. Just They're different separate lives. Now, I learned very quickly when I got married, even before I knew, but but when I got married, I learned very quickly that my, my wife and I were very different people in a lot of ways. One of the ways it became very clear to me soon, on our honeymoon, we were on a cruise. And if you go on a cruise, one of the things you do is eat. You can eat whatever you want and as much as you want. I'm not an adventure eater, but on our cruise, my wife decided she wanted to try escargot. So I sat next to my new wife and watched her eat snails. And I realized in that moment that we were two very different people. I did not then and have not ever eaten snails. But that just goes to show you we're different people. God made us for each other, but we're different people. And you're going to find that out in your life. Two separate people joined together. But here's what God does. As you follow him, and this is why you cannot leave God out of your marriage. Because as you follow him and grow together, grow in your relationship with him, he begins to weave your lives together, these two separate lives he weaves together. And before you know it, yes, you're joined together in the covenant of marriage, you join in the flesh union, but before you know it, you don't really know where one begins and one ends. That's the miracle of the union of husband and wife. And I want you to notice here, it took both of my hands to do all of this. The rope's really didn't do a whole lot. And there is a lot to be done in marriage. Marriage is hard work. But these two ropes could not have been joined together without me, my hands, joining them together. Our lives, our marriages, require God's hand on them in order for us to become what we're supposed to be. For two separate individuals to become one in the sense, the way God's Word describes, two separate people becoming one, only God's hand can do that. And so God has to be the focal point of your marriage. And you leave your home, you leave your mother and father, and become one. And just, you've heard before, two are stronger than one. You become one. And what God put together, no man should separate. But we have to have God in the center of our marriages. And we become one in this union of marriage. It's interesting, God's math in this scenario is one plus one equals one. One man, one woman become one. It's a beautiful thing. Marriage begins at the altar. It just begins at the altar. It is a lifelong process of becoming one as husband and wife. The ideal, this is God's ideal. This is the same ideal that Jesus reinforces in Matthew chapter 19. Haven't you read? 
Verse 4, he replied that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. He also said, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Two become one. You know, that's the idea. That's, that's God's design. You know, there are couples out there who have been married for a very long time. Fifty plus years, maybe, you've been married. Um, but God puts you together. The more you grow together, the more you look like one another, the more uh, you favor one another, the more you like the same things. Uh, sometimes that it never happens, but what we see here is that that's the process. Yes, you become one when you are married, but then you become more like each other. God, it's a process of God weaving your lives together as long as you are together. Verse 25 is the last part of this blueprint in Genesis chapter 2. Both the man and his wife were naked, yet felt no shame. They were both naked, yet they were unashamed. This is, yes, talking about sexual intimacy. That's part of this, right? That's part of it, but it's not all of it. It also talks about intimacy between husband and wife, um, a closeness, an intimacy in their relationship where there's no fear of, of sharing who I am with you, no fear of being abused or mistreated. Um, you, know, you can't have a family series without talking about physical intimacy, and that's part of this, certainly. That's part of what, what's being taught here in God's Word. And sexual intimacy is a gift from God. And it is a wonderful gift when it, when it is within the bonds of marriage. It's a wonderful thing. Um, but outside of God's marriage, outside of the marriage, it can be a destructive thing. And when we see sexual intimacy attempted outside of marriage, we see it in one of three ways, adultery, fornication, or perversion, some perversion of God's design. And so within the bonds of marriage, it's a wonderful thing. But verse 25 is much more, while this is part of it, it's much more than physical intimacy. That's not all of what God is talking about here. Verse 24 talks about oneness. The two become one. Verse 25 is talking about openness. The two are open in front of each other. They have nothing to hide. And, and that tr hasn't truly happened since Adam and Eve before they sinned. You can imagine when this verse says they were naked and unashamed, there was nothing hidden between them at all. They knew each other perfectly. That's true intimacy. That's perfect intimacy. And again, this is God's ideal we're not perfect, but that's where we should be. That's the goal for us. As husband and wife, we should desire perfect intimacy, openness. This verse is telling us that Adam and Eve, yes, they were married. And yes, they were one. But they were also best friends. And there were no closer friends than Adam and Eve. The only thing closer, the only relationship they had that was closer was their relationship to God before the fall. They were best friends. Ronnie Mitchell says this, three unions in the Christian marriage. There's the physical unions where intimacy is shared with their bodies. There is mental, a mental union where we share our hopes and our dreams, our passions in our lives. We're, we're sharing dreams with one another. And then he says there is a spiritual union. A man and a woman who have both 
given their hearts to Jesus. This is two people who have given their hearts to Jesus. Both are saved, and they both have the assurance of heaven in their lives. And they're encouraging each other to grow spiritually. They seek his will for their family. Three different unions, but all make up this union of husband and wife. Let's say you're watching this today and you're divorced. You never thought it would happen to you. Or maybe you're not married yet. You're waiting on that person. Maybe you just got married. You've only been married for a very short amount of time. Yours is a new marriage, a new home, and you're just trying to figure it all out. You're just trying to make sense of all of it. And I want you to know, regardless of where you are in your, your situation, God loves you. And if you're hurt and broken, he can bring healing. He still has a plan for your life. If you're just getting started or you're waiting, God can, can, has a plan for your life and can carry you through that as well. He wants to be at the center of your relationship. Wherever you are in that process, God can bring you through it and help you through it. Let's say you're married to an unbeliever. Some of you watching today are married to an unbeliever, and it is the great burden of your life. You want your spouse to know Jesus. Well, there's three things that I want to encourage you to do if you are married to an unbeliever. Love unconditionally, pray continually, and live Jesus in front of them consistently. Those are the three greatest things you can do for your unbelieving spouse. Now let's move on to our fourth and final truth. For God's glory, your marriage is to paint a portrait of the relationship between Jesus and the believer. For God's glory, your marriage should paint a portrait of the relationship between Jesus and the believer. Now why? Understand that, that the family, God's design, there's a bigger purpose than just the family. The family is a wonderful thing. And it is a great gift, and it is a great thing, but there's a bigger purpose here involved. God designs everything with intent and purpose, and there is a greater purpose. And Paul talks about this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 32. It is a mystery, he says. This mystery is so profound. He's talking about the relationship between husband and wife. But I am talking about Christ and the church. He's talking about how the relationship between husband and wife is a picture of, of the relationship between Christ and the church. And here's the truth that I want us to to take away from this. In marriage, our earthly union paints a portrait to the world of the heavenly union between the believer and Jesus Christ. Our earthly union as husband and wife paints, paints a picture, a portrait to the world of the heavenly union between the believer and Jesus. So the purpose of the marriage is ultimately for the glory of God, and to point people to Christ. Jesus is the groom, we, his church, are the bride, and the purpose is that we point people to him. We point people to Jesus. Marriage takes work, it takes energy, it takes effort, it takes commitment. It simply comes down to this in our relationships. The way that we fall deeper deeper in love with our spouse is that we fall deeper in love with Jesus Christ. If you want to go deeper in your relationship with your spouse, then you have to go deeper in your relationship with Jesus. Bill Lawrence said this. He said, marriage is not a 50-50 arrangement. It is a 100-100 commitment. Two people, 100% committed to God first and to each other. Genesis is, you know, God is creating. 
in Genesis. He's creating everything in the universe. He's creating man, animals. He's creating a helpmate for Adam. God, in the midst of all of this, he creates, and this is crazy, he breathes his breath into Adam. He breathes his soul into Adam. Man is in the, made in the image of God, and part of that means that he is eternal. God breathes his soul into Adam. And, and C.S. Lewis said this. To put it in perspective, he said, you do not have a soul. We say we have souls. No, you do not have a soul. You are a soul. You have a body. We were created in the image of God. We have a soul that God placed in us. And we focus on our bodies so much in our culture, in our lives. But the truth is, you're not a body. You're a soul surrounded by a body. Um, you, the, the, that body, by the way, is decaying every day. I mean, the older you get, the more you realize that. The number one thing in God's blueprint for the family and the marriage is this, and don't miss this. Jesus has to have your soul. He created you. You're an eternal being, and you're going to spend eternity in one place or the other. If you want to have eternal life, Jesus has to have your soul. You have to accept Christ as your Lord and Savior. If you want to have the type of marriage, the type of family God wants you to have, Jesus has to be in the center of it, which means he has to have your soul. You have to accept Christ. You have to come to a point in your life where you realize that you're lost. You're a sinner, like all of us. And the only hope of being forgiven is accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior who died on the cross to forgive you of your sins, who was raised from the dead so that you could have new life, eternal life. There's an ABC News story from a while back from Iowa. Two people, Gordon and Norma Yeager, they were married in 1939. And at the time of the writing of this story, uh, Gordon was 94 um, Norma was nine, 90, she was 90 years old, and they had just celebrated their 72nd wedding anniversary. They'd been married 72 years. Uh, Gordon was still driving. They were driving home one night and had an awful, a horrible car accident. They were, both were rushed to the nearest hospital, to the ICU. They were being treated, and the entire time, Gordon's asking about Norma. Is Norma okay? Is she okay? Never once gave thought to himself. The same thing on the other end. Norma's asking about Gordon, asking about Gordon, never giving thought to herself. Well, pretty soon it became apparent that neither Norma or Gordon were going to make it, that they were not going to survive their injuries. So they took them both and put them in the same ICU room side by side. Well, after a few minutes, Norman, or Gordon rather, reached out his right hand and took Norma by her left hand, and they lay there holding hands. After a little while... Gordon passed away. His family, their family surrounding them, watching them, Gordon passes away. They're grieving, but all of a sudden they look on his heart monitor and they see a heartbeat. Well, they, they, they get a little hope there for a minute, and the nurse says, no, don't misunderstand. What you're seeing, they're still holding hands. What you're seeing is Norma's heartbeat through him. Two people shared their entire lives. They didn't share their life just a few hours later. Norma passed away as well. They shared their hearts, and that's God's plan. Two people, one man, one woman, leave their families, and they become one. They don't just hold hands, each other's hands. They hold each other's hearts, and they share the same heart. And the only way that's possible is that it's Jesus' heart beating through them. 
Is Christ the center of your marriage? Is he the center of your family? Is he the center of your life? Because if not, whether we're talking about family, whether we're talking about marriage, or you just being who God intended you to be, you'll never be that. Your life will never be fulfilling if you don't have Christ, his heart beating through you. Your marriage will never be what God wants it to be. You'll never, you won't survive, and you certainly won't thrive if Christ's heart isn't beating through your marriage. You know, there's a lady watching today. Today's Mother's Day, and that lady's my wife, Amanda Hayes. She is the love of my life. She's my best friend. God brought her to me against all odds, gave me the privilege of becoming her husband. She's my best friend. We share our lives. We share our hearts till death do us part. But let me let you in on a little secret. Neither one of us are perfect, and we never will be, not till we get to heaven. But we are being perfected in Christ. And that's my hope for you today, is that you will be perfected in Christ. And that begins with a relationship with Christ. Now, I'm going to go back to where I started at the very beginning of this time of worship today. And there's a slide that comes up, and there's, there's some contact information there I want to direct you to. Maybe you're here watching, and your, your family is in trouble. You're getting hit from all sides. You want the type of relationship I'm talking about, but you don't know where to begin. Well, let me encourage you to begin by contacting us. You can email us, info at wallhighway.com. You can call the church office during business hours. You can go on our website, wallhighway.com, contact one of our pastors. Uh, you can message us on Facebook right now if you're watching on Facebook, uh, and we'll be watching for that message. Uh, maybe you're lost because you really are lost. You don't know Christ, and I encourage you again, use those same contact methods to contact us, to, to let us know who you are and what you're going through. We want to be here for you. We want to love you. We want to minister to you. We want to help you find God's ideal, his plan for your life. Um, we're, we're not here just to, to give you a bunch of information out of, out of God's word and let you fend for yourselves. We want to help you walk through life and help you know how to take it and apply it to your life. And so we want to hear from you. And again, if, if you just want to get to know me a little bit, email that that info at wallhighway.com and let me set up that, that Zoom meeting where we can at least meet online um, while we still aren't allowed to meet in person right now. Um, there are other slides that are going to pop up there, mainly for our church family. You know, we continue to meet uh, online and we are continuing. We want to offer ways for our, our church family to be faithful through giving and you can give online, follow that link there. Um, Next is the church address. You can uh, send in your tithes or offerings uh, via mail or use your bank's online bill pay. Uh, and church family, let me just say, I'm, I've been so thankful to the Lord for your faithfulness during this time. God's provided, and, and you've been faithful, and, and uh, he continues to bless our church family. We look forward to uh, getting back together and meeting together. Um, and in light of the governor's announcement on Friday, um, it looks like that that's going to be a real possibility. Um, maybe even as early as this coming Sunday. But I wanted to let you know that our staff is going to meet tomorrow morning, uh, Monday morning. We will meet uh, and discuss uh, the details of the announcement that the governor made on Friday and what that means for us. Uh, we've all looked at that announcement and the instructions for, for worship gatherings. Um, and so after we meet on Monday... Uh, soon after that, sometime after that, we will be giving you instructions 
on what that's going to look like. Instructions on, on what you need to know for worship the following week. Uh, so be looking for that. We are, like I said, we're going to have a meeting uh, in the morning and discuss that and go over the details. And as soon as we can get that all together, uh, make sure that all of our I's are dotted and T's are crossed the best we can. Uh, we're going to give you that information, so you'll be looking for that. One more thing I wanted to mention before we close out our time of worship. I've been asking for testimonials, your story, and something new that we're doing. And I've gotten uh, one story from someone that uh, I've enjoyed reading, and I encourage uh, you, if, if you have a story about how God's worked in your life, you've seen his hand at work during this time, this pandemic, um, uh, let me encourage you to share that. Again, you can send that uh, to the church. Let me ask you to send that to another email address, melody at wallhighway.com. You can find her email on the, on the webpage. But I want you to, to share your story with me. And I, you know, I want not just for me, but we're going to be sharing those testimonies with other church family members. And it's just an opportunity for us all to be encouraged uh, by what God's been doing in the midst of all of this. Just know that I look forward uh, to us being together again, whatever that looks like, social distancing and all, and I hope that you do too. Know that uh, you are loved and that your church staff prays for you, and uh, we are anxious to see your face again. We're going to close with a time of prayer this morning, and I hope that uh, you have a wonderful Mother's Day and, and have a blessed afternoon, but let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your love and for your mercies, and we thank you that you have have blessed us with um, your word to instruct us on how to be the people you want us to be and how to have the families that you want us to have. Um, Father, we know that, uh, that none of us are perfect and what we read in your word is, is um, your ideal. But we know that if we submit to you that our families can uh, be in the process of being perfected by you, that we can be a work in progress, and that you who began a good work in us will be faithful to complete that work. Lord, I just ask that you help us all to uh, be patient as you work, uh, that we submit to you daily, that whether we're married or single, waiting on a spouse, that we would be patient on you, wait on you. If we're married, that we would uh, be humble and submit to one another as we submit to you daily, uh, that we would just continue to, to follow you and obey you and allow you to do your work in your time and in your way. Maybe there's somebody out there today who's lost their spouse and they're still grieving and they are not the same as they were because um, half of them is gone and, and that is real grief and real pain. And I just pray that you would surround them with your love with your arms and, and, and hide them in the shelter of your wings, that you would use family and church family to minister to them. Maybe there's somebody who's been abused or who's been left. Lord, I know that is real pain. And I, I pray for that person, whoever they are, that they would be willing to reach out to this church family and allow us to minister to them. But you know who they are. And we can pray for them, even though we don't know their names, you do. You know where they are and you know what they need. And I pray that you would meet their needs. God, I thank you that your plan is perfect. And that even in the midst of this sin-cursed, fallen world, you yourself, Jesus, you came to us. You paid the price for our sins so that we could be redeemed and restored. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful Mother's Day afternoon.